This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Well, good morning, Trinity. I am Ronnie. I, uh, I am a pastor here. I'm not the pastor. I work for Zach now. Zach, how's that feel? Feels good, right? Um, so we are at the end of our study, or not at the end, but close to the end, and we've come to a chapter that's really unusual. Uh, it's unusual because the author, Luke, he describes in great detail a, a very adventurous sea voyage in, in which Paul is in the ship, he's, he's headed to Rome, and it's shipwrecked. Remember that Paul has been in Roman custody. He's had this hearing from the procurator, Felix, and then Festus, and then King Agrippa. And now he's on a sea vessel on his way to see Caesar in Italy. And and this trip is given an entire chapter with a ton of detail. And so the question is, why like slow down to describe all of this even pedestrian detail? Why do this? Well, one way to answer that is um, in the ancient Hellenistic world, the the sea voyage and shipwreck motif was a huge part of their mythology canon, right? His his audience, Luke's audience, would have been very familiar with these kinds of stories. And, And we know a few of the famous ones, right? Like, Homer's Odyssey and the Aeneid. Uh, there are lesser-known novels of the time, Chariton of Aphrodisius, Achilles, Achilles Tacitus, um, Patronus Xenophon of Ephesus. Uh, you have to be a really nerdy, classically educated homeschooler who's socially awkward to know any of those names. Right, children? All right, all right, got you guys. Uh, but the point is... Um, Sea voyage and shipwreck were at the center of a good story about the gods. And they're at the center of a good story of a protagonist who would develop in his character. It resonated with that original audience. Maybe uh, perhaps like a modern uh, like a modern day blue collar equivalent would be um, something like this. You, you know, have you guys noticed that like in the last 15 years or so, there has been a spike in interest in uh, dystopian stories, very specifically zombie apocalypses? Anyone know what I'm talking about? It seems like zombies are all the rage now, and, and they're so popular that zombies are even handsome and, good and pretty now, right? It feels like, uh, well, what's all that about? I mean, well, what's the appeal I heard one social critic say it like this, zombie motifs acknowledge that we're all a mess. It sees our world in the sense that it feels like everything is falling apart. But what makes these stories so good is that while everything is seemingly devolving, really good human interest accounts emerge, right? The the non-zombies and the humans in these stories become heroic. They grow And the disaster brings out a greatness. And so the zombies help the humans become more human. In other words, the zombie disaster is the occasion that miraculously aids the reversal of people's lives. It it aids in deep character change for people to begin to see themselves more clearly that's why we tell zombie stories. That's why the ancient world told sea voyage and shipwreck stories. 
And here's why you and I need this particular sea voyage and shipwreck story. It's by seeing God preside over a storm that causes a disastrous shipwreck, we are going to see God's work in history. And, And when we can see God in the storm, like him working in the storm, it's in that moment that you and I can begin to gain possession of our lives. So Acts 27 shows how God presided over this terribly unwanted event, a story that tell, is told so that you and I can rethink our own lives. And so we're going to use this story to rethink three parts of our lives. This unwanted event, this storm, is going to provoke us to think about the control that we think we have, the pride that is hidden in our hearts, and the source of our confidence. So you note takers, those are our three points, the control, the pride, and the source of our confidence. And so with that introduction, let's jump right into it. Would you stand with me? Let me get my notes together. There it is. This is uh, Acts chapter 27. We're going to start in verse 7. Hear now the reading of God's word. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon, coasting along it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was uh, the city of Lasea. Since much time had passed, the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind called the nor'easter struck down from the land, And when the ship was caught, could not face the wind, gave way to it, and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered their gear and thus were driven along. And since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. And since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, You should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but not these words. They will endure forever. May they bless us. Amen. Please take your seats.
uh, an esteemed Harvard professor and psychologist. Her name's Dr. Ellen Langer. Uh, she's known for a series of tests that she created to test the sense of control that people feel over outcomes that they demonstrably do not influence, right? So Langer calls this the uh, illusion of control bias. And it's all about our propensity to overestimate our ability to control. Now, this is funny because uh, this is something that we even nourish, right? So for instance, I have this friend who worked for Otis Elevators. Y'all know Otis that that make a bunch of corporate elevators? Um, He explained to me, this is going to rock your world right now, that the closed door function, you know, the two arrows that face each other, that that button most of the time is inert. It doesn't work. It's only there to give you a sense of control and to lower your anxiety when you're in elevators, because elevators can be a, a place of anxiety. See, so much of our life is actually organized around giving us this illusion of control. And I guess it's kind of working, right? I, We think it's working. We tend to look at our lives as primarily the product of our own making, right? Isn't that how we see our lives? And part of this is beautiful, right? God has made you in his image. He he has given you a sense of agency, right, to act upon the world and to do good. Our choices, they matter. But there are so many choices, even more than we understand, that are not choices we have made. Rather, they're Choices that were made for us. Most of our life, I would suggest. For instance, you didn't choose your mama. You didn't choose uh, the country you were born in. You didn't choose your body type. Right? Someone else chose that for you. I could go on and on. And the older we are, the more we are coming to terms with the fact that we're really... um, There is less things that we have control over than we once thought. Right? That, that's like how we, how we grow. So the thing is, listen, we make plans. We, we make choices for the trajectory of our life. And then, inevitably, there's this massive interruption, a massive intrusion. I mean, we didn't ask for it. We didn't plan for it. But here we are. Maybe it's a pandemic. Maybe it's cancer. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a sick child. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. And there is this tendency in us, right, to try to control, right? This is, oh my goodness, this is just a terrible interruption, but it's now, it's time to get back to our real life. When can we get back to the plan? Can we just get back to the plan? What if, you guys, what if that unwanted event What if that unwanted event is not an interruption? What if that unwanted event is the plan? Not the plan you coordinated, but it's your life. It's your life. That's what happened here to this crew and the Apostle Paul. After his final hearing with King Agrippa, he gets his wish, he gets a hearing with Caesar, and so as a, but he's a prisoner, and so as a prisoner, he's assigned to this centurion named Julius, and he begins his voyage from Judea to Italy. And this chapter carefully chronicles all the stops. The sailors, they made a nice plan, but there are things outside of their control, right? 
In this case, it's the wind. These guys found this big seaworthy vessel. It's about 140 foot ship. It's about 30 feet, 36 feet wide. It, it's an Egyptian vessel, grain vessel. So just a little trivia, the Roman Empire imported about a third of its grain from Egypt. They use these ships. So this is a tough ship, but it's, it's a little bit unusual than what we might know. For instance, it doesn't have a rudder like a modern ship would have. It has these two great paddles that are sticking out of the stern, and it just has one big great square mast. And the chief drawback, and I guess there's a few, but the chief one is that it can't sail into the wind. It's at the mercy of the wind. And listen, the wind just does not care about their plan. And that's what this crew learned. Paul and the centurion, they get to Lycia. They board the ship with 276 others, and they set sail. But look, look, how, look how Luke describes this. Look there in your Bibles in verse 7. It says that we sailed slowly for a number of days, arrived with what difficulty off Nidus. The wind did not allow us to go farther. Verse 8, coasting along with what difficulty they came to fair havens. Now, because they're moving so slow, their trip is starting to get into the winter months. And so verse 9 says, since much time had passed, the voyage was growing, was now dangerous. Y'all see that? Now, the centurion and the captain, they're living in denial. Right? But, but Paul's like, guys, it's not a good idea. And they're like, no, we have a plan. Let's do this. See, here's the thing, is they have their life. They have the life that they want to live. They're ready to get back to their plan. They're ready to live their life, the one that they planned out. But here's the thing is they need wind. They are relying on something they cannot control. And they're in denial. And the slow voyage is not what they signed up for. It's not what they signed up for. But they have this illusion of control. And it doesn't work out for them, does it? It doesn't, right? How's this end? Y'all, doesn't their frustration just kind of make sense of our own life? I mean, they made a plan. It didn't go as planned due to things perfectly outside of their control. They have this illusion of control. And they say, listen, winter on the Mediterranean? Ha, who cares? And instead of saying, we should recognize this intrusion is our life. It is our new reality. What they say is, I need to stick back to the plan that I drew up for myself. I can fix this. I can control this. And they end up shipwrecked. And they end up concluding, look there, verse 20, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Hopeless. And what's fascinating about this story is that Luke, the author who's writing this, he's extremely careful to tell us and, and tell us these details so that the reader understands that while the sailors are out of control, God is perfectly in control. That's how the story's told. And I wonder if that's what you and I need to hear about our own life. I mean, what if the interruptions in our life are not interruptions at all? They are our life. There is no other life that you need to get back to so that you can start living your real life. It is your life, you see. Cancer is not an interruption to, the, to you living your real life. 
It is your life. It's the story that you were called to bravely live. Your child getting sick is your life. Your marriage dissolving. You're not getting a good enough score in your SAT, not getting into the school that you want. It's your life. Your house losing its roof because a hurricane blew it off. This is your life. It's not an interruption. But if God is, control, is in control, if that's how the story is told, then, then we need to look back at the details and interpret them, don't we? You know, my professor in seminary, Zach Eswine, he says, all of that mess, the intrusions, those unwanted events might just mean that you are in the process of being rescued. You thought you were rescued before, but that's God rescued us. God is in that storm. Because there are some flowers that only bloom in the desert. And you will not see such beauty unless you're there just with them. The storm, this unwanted intrusion to your dreams and your plans, it is your life. And so we're called to rethink it. We want to pay attention then. If it's our life, we want to pay attention to what God is doing. And while your sense of control is just an illusion, God's authorship and control of your life is real. You need to retell your life with that filter, with that reality. Well, let's continue. Let's continue to mine this passage and see what it has for us. So, so far we said that these unwanted events, this, these storms in our life are an, are an occasion to rethink the control that we think we have. But they're also an occasion to expose the pride that's hidden in our hearts. So, as you guys know, we're, the Garcias are in the middle of a move, and moving is stressful because, well... Honestly, things just aren't going quite the way that I wanted them to. And you know how like stress tends to expose the real you, right? Like most of my life, I can hide and manage my sin. But if you add stress, those defenses go down and the real me starts coming out. So I got you all fooled. So I wish I was at like a level 10 holiness as your pastor. But the truth is I'm pretty average to below average. Um, I'm more average than I care to admit. So here we are. We're in a move. I'm feeling stress. I feel like none of my teenage kids are, are being helpful. So I start barking at them, right? I start barking at my kids. And, and one of my girls did something that I thought was just completely out of line. And I start growling. And I start yelling. I can't believe that this is how my kids would behave. And I'm feeling so self-righteous as I discipline her, Right? I get off my tirade, I turn the corner, and Micah, my oldest son, is there, and he says very calmly, but very earnestly, he says, Dad, you are not helping at all. You're screaming, and your anxiety is only making things worse. Uh, you need to calm down. Now, he wasn't showing me up. He wasn't. It was, in, it was in private, but he was certainly correcting me. He was certainly correcting me. Here's the thing. He is 100% correct. He's right. He's exhibiting a kind of maturity that far outweighs mine. But he's my son. 
not my peer, and I am the ranking officer on the USS Garcia. <laughs> I, am the, the, I am the captain of the HMS Garcia. I call the shots. I don't need the cook to tell me what to do. I mean, what, what could a 16-year-old boy possibly have to teach me? Okay, are y'all seeing it? I'm being ironic for you guys here. What am I exhibiting in that moment? And I'm afraid to tell you that's a true story. What am I exhibiting in that moment? It's pride, right? And it's dark and it's sinister, right? Can I not learn from someone who's at a lower ranking position? Can I not learn from that person? In our moments of stress, when unwanted events are intruding into our lives, that's the occasion that God wants to shore up our pride. This is precisely what is exposed in chapter 27, you guys. Remember, Paul, Paul's not a sailor, but he has spent a lot of time on the, on the Mediterranean, right? This is his third missionary journey. He's logged so many hours, but he's a prisoner, and this ship is populated with 276 sailors, right? Most of them are sailors. They're not theologians. Let's just put it that way. So, you know, and theologians, what use are they on the ocean, right? So cap- the captain realizes that they're way behind schedule. Winter is upon them. The waters are becoming dangerous. So Paul, the prisoner, advises them. Verse 10, look there. Sirs, I perceive that our voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the, sh- and the ship, but also of our lives. Um, I'm sorry, excuse me? Who's speaking? Oh, you're the prisoner? The prisoner is speaking, right? And so what happens, verse 11, what happens next? It says, the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Because the centurion couldn't see the obvious thing. Why? pride. Instead of listening to wisdom, he ignored it because it came from the wrong ranking person. They hated the harbor they were in. And then verse 12 says, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow, um, that's the text, I'm reading the text, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete. Did you hear that? It's like saying, it's winter. I'm standing on the bay in Fajardo. I'm going to take my little dinghy across, you know, a, a, across the ocean over to Culebra on the chance that the winter waves won't be winter waves, right? What? That is a death wish. Can I get an amen, Team Coast Guard, right? The Coast Guard will always be gainfully employed because we are prideful and do not listen on the chance that we know better. Pride goeth before the fall. So here's the thing. When we're charting our course for life, and it turns winter, and unexpected things happen outside of our control, stop, listen. This is your life. You have to live in this new reality. You can't be oblivious to the obvious thing. You have to realize that your deep desire for a different life, a different life than the one that you're living, will make you blind. 
don't be prideful. In fact, in fact, you must expect that to be the occasion to expose your pride. Pay attention to that impulse. Deal with it. Humbly, deal with your pride, please. Humbly. So listen, I'm sure that if the captain and the centurion of that ship knew now what they, or knew then what they know now, right? That how it was going to all end, they would have listened. Or they, they didn't want to be shipwrecked. They're probably saying, I wish I would have listened. I wish I wouldn't have been so prideful. Now, this is, uh, this is really applicable to everyone, right? Let me just, let me just, I mean, because I'm talking to husbands and men's, uh, husbands and men in men's ministry. Let me just pick on husbands. Uh, As a general rule, men, you're, you're in your work, right, is kind of the number one source of stress and unwanted events. Unwanted events are coming by way of our work often. Uh, When you're going, men, when you're going through those tough times, you're not going to see straight. Uh, you won't see the obvious thing. You won't. But you know who will see the obvious thing? Your wife. And God gave you a wife to help you see straight. Listen to her. Listen to her. Don't, don't bristle under her wisdom. Don't be prideful. Listen and then pray. And then listen some more. Don't be foolish about your headship, right? Don't think that it doesn't include mutual submission. Don't be foolish. Listen. This is really the beauty of a Christian marriage. Your first mate is likely smarter than you are. Praise the Lord for that. Don't don't resent her wisdom, See, unwanted events are actually the occasion to deal with your hidden pride. Praise the Lord for that. God is longing to do something really beautiful in you. He's putting his greatness in you, and you're most fertile, you're most teachable when the waves are high. Listen, and oh, please, Trinity, rethink your pride. Don't let the sermon end without you rethinking your pride. All right, let me move to our final point. So, so far, right, we've said that unplanned, unwanted, hard intrusions in our life is our life. That is our life. And so this is an occasion to rethink it. And we, we got to rethink the control that we think we have, but don't. And we must rethink the pride that's hidden in our hearts. But lastly, These unwanted events are the occasion that God uses to expose your source of confidence. We have confidence in something. We don't always know where its source comes from. Now, this reality um, of like misguided confidence or misplaced confidence, it's all over our art and our music. And perhaps we actually haven't noticed it before. So I kind of have this kind of sweet spot in my heart for like Irish and British rockers I really like you too. I really like Coldplay. All right, don't judge me. I just like them. Uh, but there is this other Irish band that I really like. They're called The Script. 
And the lead, the lead, spring, the lead singer wrote this song called Break Even. And it's a breakup song. It's a breakup song. And the song is a lament about his girlfriend leaving him. It crushed him. And he says, when the heart breaks, it doesn't break even, right? It doesn't, it doesn't break down the middle. And so let me, can I just read for you a few lyrics from the song? We're going to learn something here. These uh, secular sages among us. He says, I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. Just pray to a God I don't believe in. Because I got time while she got freedom. Because when a heart breaks, it doesn't break even. Her best days would be some of my worst. She finally met a man who would put her first. While I'm wide awake, she has no trouble sleeping. Because when a heart breaks, it doesn't break even. What am I supposed to do when the best part of me was always you? What am I supposed to say when I'm all choked up and you're okay? I'm falling to pieces. They say bad things happen for a reason, but no wise words are going to stop the grieving or stop the bleeding because she's moved on while I'm still grieving. When a heart breaks, it doesn't break even. I'm still alive, but I'm barely breathing. I just prayed to a God I don't believe in. All right, did you hear it? Through these lyrics, a misplaced confidence was exposed. So now we're trying something new, right? See, this guy had, had the love of his life. It was his anchor. This relationship is what keeps his life afloat. But his relationship sank to the bottom of the ocean, and this most unwanted intrusion into the life that he really wanted is here, and now he's grasping for some other anchor. And what does he do? What's he do? He prays to a God that he doesn't believe in. And guess what? Maybe he'll find the Lord who is an unsinkable source of confidence. But it took, took a storm for him to utter that prayer, doesn't it? It took a storm. That's actually what we see in this passage. So the captain and the centurion had confidence but it wasn't an unsinkable confidence. Look at me, look with me in verse 13. So against Paul's advice, they take to the seas. Verse 13 says, Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed their anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. Verse 14, But soon a tempestuous wind called a northeaster struck down. See, these guys have confidence in two things. They have confidence in their strong boat, and they have confidence in their feelings, right? Did you notice that? When they started, they, they got that nice, gentle breeze to their back. They, they supposed that they obtained their purpose. They got a warm fuzzy, right? See, Paul? Who cares about wisdom? I got a warm fuzzy. I got a nice breeze to my back. Well, they did until they didn't. And in no time at all, the storm would come and eat them up and chew them out. They were violently tossed about. They had to take down the mast, jettison the cargo. They got rid of the tackle. The storm was so massive that they couldn't see the stars for 14 days. What that means is they don't have a compass. They have no idea where they are. And they concluded, verse 20, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. And guess what? That 
is the moment of hope. It's in that moment that they acknowledge the truth that was always the case. They are not in control. There is no room for pride. And their source of confidence in themselves is now abandoned. They can't save themselves. And finally, God has them exactly where he wants them. This unwanted intrusion, this interruption, this event was the the occasion for all of those things. And God meets them in that place. Paul, who was earlier blown off, right? He gives them a word of encouragement. Look there, verse 22. Yet I now urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. Take heart. God's going to rescue you, all of you. But the ship's got to go. But he's like, but listen, you guys, it was never the ship. Listen, listen, listen. It was never the ship that kept you afloat. It was never the ship that kept you together. It was always the Lord. So you have to let go of those things that you had your confidence in. Don't go down with the ship. You have to abandon your confidence in the ship. But that doesn't mean that you have to abandon confidence in anything. In fact, the storm has come to rescue you. The storm has come to rescue you in the deepest of ways. But you got to let go of the ship, let go of the plan, and lay a hold of the thing that always kept you afloat. And it's the Lord's grace. Hey, Trinity, God's not talking to the captain or the centurion. He's talking to you. Are you listening? He's talking to me. Spoiler alert, um, every single person on that whole boat was actually spared, just as God promised. That's how the story ends. From the perspective of the sailors, right? They're just living their life. And then the storm comes, and they don't see it as this divinely written story. That's not how they're seeing it. And that's kind of how it is for us. And that's why we have to pay attention. We're just living our life. And then this unwanted interruption is ruining the life that we think we wanted, the life that we think we needed. But we need to understand that our life was actually divinely authored too. That's what Christians believe. And maybe it's not the story that you wanted, but it's the story you needed. And listen, because I, I want I to be um, clear about this. It's, I'm not saying that storms and shipwrecks and cancer and broken marriages and layoffs, I'm not saying that those things are good in of themselves. Those things are awful in of themselves. But God's good purposes transcend those bad things. That's what Christians believe. That's what we're reciting every single Sunday. How did I get that? You don't don't believe me? Jesus, 
your savior, when he began his ministry, he was super dialed into the fact that he himself, the son of God, had come to fulfill his heavenly father's plans. His life was already authored by God. He knew what the story was. You know what the story was? Like a lamb being led to the slaughter, he silently went. Jesus knew that he was born to die. And the Savior did. He, he courageously marched to the cross. Rome didn't put him on that cross. The, the religious leaders didn't put him on the cross. He freely went to the cross. And he bled out naked on those two planks of wood. And no one, listen, no one says that crucifixions are awesome. They're awful. It's not like Jesus just loved dying on a cross. He didn't want it. It was awful. He was like, Lord, let, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. Your will be done. Not my life, but the divine life. And we know why, don't we, Trinity? We know why. Because there is no salvation. There is no resurrection without a cross. God's good purposes transcend bad, unwanted events. Take courage. Take a time to look at them differently. Let these storms, this stuff that we're going through, be the occasion to rethink our life. Let it be the occasion to surrender our life. To Jesus fully, to hide it. Um, please, Trinity, don't let this just be another sermon. Don't let it be another sermon. Let's rethink this together.